Hello and welcome to Discussions in Tunbridge Wells, the psychology and mental health podcast produced by the Salomon Centre for Applied Psychology in Kent. My name is John McGowan, I'm a psychologist in the centre. Now today we're going to do something slightly different from our normal discussion. Uh, As many listeners know, our centre's primary activities are based around training um, in the psychological professions, uh, largely for the NHS, NHS funded contracts. And this week we're about to say goodbye to a cohort of trainees on our clinical psychology doctorate. They've been here for three years. Now, Um, Several of that group have come along today uh, just to talk about their thoughts and feelings on the cusp of qualification, just finishing training and moving into work, say largely in the NHS. So I'm going to hand over first of all to ask everyone to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Marguerite. Um, I'm Becca. I'm Abby. I'm Hannah. I'm Helen. And I'm Owen. One of the reasons I was just really interested in talking to you about this point, and this is your second last day of you know three years, basically doing three full years, basically doing this, is that you're right on the verge of um, stepping into careers, often in mental health or working with other groups of people, such as learn, you know learning disabilities, largely in the NHS, and it feels like that's kind of a bit of an interesting moment to talk to you. So, how does it feel? It's quite funny to be doing this podcast today at kind of, yeah, we've been spending the day kind of reflecting on just that. Um, So we should have, in theory, lots to say here. Um, I guess for me as well, it's like not not just about the context of, oh, like we're right on the edge, there's that moment, but also kind of it feels like there's a bit of a context, that the context that we're going into is quite an interesting time as well. I don't know, I'm thinking about what's going on in the NHS and what's going on in the country at the moment. Um, I guess... What do you mean the NHS and in the country itself? Because that's taking it quite wide, really, isn't it? Yeah, maybe I've started very broadly, but, like, I guess thinking about... I guess it feels... A lot of the feeling is, is, is of feeling quite anxious and nervous about what that's going to be like. We're going to a full-time job in the NHS that is really struggling where there's kind of unprecedented funding cuts there's you kind of you have a taste of it on placement but going into that full time I feel quite nervous about getting burnt out that's one of the feelings I have Mm -hmm. um but I also feel quite excited as well um kind of about I feel like we've learned a lot in all these three years and to get a chance to use that and try and make a difference there's also that kind of feeling of excitement that I have as well How's everyone else at this point? Yeah, we've just had a we just had a workshop where the year that were above us came back to speak to us about their experience of the past year, Um, and that was really interesting. Um, I think some of our fears kind of were being brought out in that workshop about Mm. what it's going to be like um, and how and kind of what it's going to be like in comparison to training, which is is very full on. and going into kind of a higher caseload, particularly, I think is something that's on my mind. Having come from kind of working in a in a primary care IAP service before um, training, and that being a very high caseload, and then coming into training and feeling a bit guilty that my caseload wasn't as high, and kind of getting used to that, and now going back to something a lot higher, and how 
what structures are going to be in place to support that really I guess you've spent the last two mind. years feeling guilty Helen <laughs> then, yes that you haven't been doing enough <laughs> enough work to justify the I NHS's investment so, yeah. in you um, I think I mean it's been amazing to kind of be able to have much more space like tons more space to think um, mm. and yeah and and really learn um, whereas I have just a very fast paced environment um, in which that was a lot more difficult um, so yeah I think what strikes me is like how different it is in different teams where even on the on training there's such variety in how many uh, people you need to, you're expected to see what like your hours are expected to be and it sounds like from yeah there are that there are some teams who will really support you in in checking that you're not you're not burdened overburdened and that you're not going to burn out and it sounded like from the people who came back today that they were in quite fortunate positions where their team did protect them from and when they when things got too much they were able to say but i definitely haven't got the impression in a broader way that that is always the case and that some people are ending up in jobs where they're just expected to see person after person after person and they've got no time to reflect or be supervised properly and that's a fear so the quality of the work suffers as a result of demand i mean this goes back to something that you were saying uh becca it was you talked about austerity and funding cuts and things like that and i was sitting here thinking well in many ways i suppose we actually spend more money on mental health than we did you know maybe 20 years ago but what's different now and why do we feel it's a situation of being cut and the only thing i can really come up with is I suppose what you're both saying, Abby and Helen, is about demand, that you're walking into something where there's actually huge weights of expectation and demand for something to be provided. I mean, is that the way it feels to you? I mean, even compared to when I trained, which is God, I don't remember that same sense that services could just be, could have something to offer in so many different contexts or indeed be the answer to so many different things, rightly or wrongly, really. I think it's oh, I no. think it's maybe both because I think I know the service for example that I'm going to be starting work in has recently had its whole local authority funding completely removed so they've had a funding cut of a third but also that the demand yeah like you say is much higher I guess when there's a lot of people struggling in the country than mental health prob- like there's a lot of link between austerity and um, mental well-being I, I guess that's one of the things we've been learning about on the course here and so yeah I think you're right it does feel like there's a lot of demand and perhaps it gets into a bit of a cycle where mm. if there's more demand and less is being offered mm. then no one actually gets a service yeah. so it's not like anyone's even getting enough so then the the demand keeps growing if that makes sense mm. are you are what you're saying is that the pressure is to provide an inadequate service as opposed to no service at all yeah. and that's not necessarily I think the subtext of what you're saying is that's not necessarily always yeah. the best thing yeah yeah I think I'm, like, I'm feeling quite kind of like I it really might not pan out that way but kind of hope a bit hopeful a bit kind of like mm-hmm. like it's all of our responsibilities to go in and not accept this mm-hmm. accept what we're like the demands and and kind of that that all services I don't know need to be um, standing up to the expectations I mean maybe that sounds really naive because I'm sure everyone goes in 
thinking that, that they won't put up with it. But yeah, saying no, I mean, I, that's not possible. That's not helpful. Um, but you're kind of saying that people need to say no yeah. to certain things. What, what do people think about that? Does that feel like... Because that, you know, people listening might be talking, what do you mean? You know, you're walking out of here learning how to say no, but I think you're saying something actually pretty substantial about what can and can't be achieved and what the dangers are, perhaps. What do other people think about that? I think that um, it's uh, like thinking about the transition from where we are and where we're going into, it's like as, as well as the work here being learning, it's also about reflecting and thinking and and our understanding of that as something really valuable in delivering a service and I think that what services you know main focus is is delivering a thing and perhaps kind of what you're saying is it's our job to to privilege and protect the idea of spaces to remain thoughtful about what we're doing in services and not to get completely bogged down in you know the, their pressures of having a to meet the needs of whichever population is serving. Yeah, I think that's um, something that I was thinking about as well because we we are given these spaces that have been described and sometimes thought about as being self-indulgent or indulgent in times when actually we should be doing more. Um, uh, But the other part of that is, is what it requires of somebody to be able to step back and think and open themselves up in maybe emotionally and in other ways and that actually that can be quite a big ask of people and without that space without that ability to allow yourself to connect in you know in thinking or feeling then yeah you're just doing and it's not necessarily as has been said in in the most productive or or useful way Um, but yeah the idea that the space is indulgent can can maybe mean that it gets pushed to lower in the priorities but Mm. making sure you hold on to it Mm. I think is important especially when you're working with people with very real needs like Mm. I imagine it can be easy to lose I think it's often the first thing to go that kind of reflective space because it's not obvious what it's offering Um, and I was thinking this morning about kind of the teams that I've been in through the training and what was kind of a really effective and a team that worked really well was a team that had a reflective practice group every week I think that was quite a key bit of learning for me and and kind of how how that impacted on the team in terms of working well as a team their efficiency and um, how they felt and and kind of protecting from some of the burnout perhaps that might be around but you're also saying not just protecting from burnout I guess but also about delivering something in a safe and effective way and contrasting that with somewhere where it's just the emphasis is always on seeing and doing and you know driving down your waiting list and that's hard because obviously people are you know they're real people with real difficulties and they're sitting on waiting lists and you know the is sort of suggesting I think you were particularly initiating this Hannah that there's a danger to just being completely caught in the zone of that yeah is that yeah, I guess a danger, and but maybe what I went meant as well was kind of like just feeling a responsibility in some ways. I guess we've had um, some lectures recently that have made me think of that, that, you know, there's so many people suffering as a result of government policies and cuts, and they're trying to say that and tell people, and in the most part not being heard, and 
we as psychologists have some power and using that power to represent those voices that are saying saying no like this isn't enough this isn't an adequate service this isn't an adequate society this isn't an adequate uh i don't know what a third one would be <laughs> it sounds like you're kind of defining psychological practice, I suppose, in that way. It's not necessarily simply being about working in health, explicitly health settings, but actually, I mean, and this is something I do sort of worry about. You know, we get, you know, economic reversals and all sorts of problems that happen. Um, some of them results of policies, particular governments, some of them are things like recessions and things like that. And obviously, we had a big. You know, move towards recession now. Ten, you know, ten years ago, and I do wonder if there's a sense in which, you know, mental health services, particularly, are just touted as the answer to that. And it seems to me that you're saying that actually, the, the, both the problems and the answers are sometimes elsewhere too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it seems to like the, from the teaching that we've had in this third year, <clears throat> it feels to me quite abundantly clear that mental health problems may be manifested in an individual person but they don't come from the individual person they come from their context and uh, that context is informed by their family but also like broader societal structures and that we can do something to help that in an, an, a, men, a mental health service but the mental health services do seem to be set up with the presumption that uh, it is an individual thing in an individual person. Mm. And I think that kind of fits with like how there's so much more awareness of mental health as a, an issue in our society. It's much more in the media, but it is in the media in that way of like, it, we need parity with physical health. Um, it's like a broken leg or that that kind of analogy. I think that still is, that is how most people probably in, in the country would look at mental health is it's like an illness that, that a person has as an individual and we need more services and more treatment and so I, I think there's like a lot of opportunities to be had in that there's a lot I feel quite excited I feel I guess I feel positive that there's much more awareness of mental health but also um, yeah I've, and I feel like it's important it's going to be important to try and find ways of it can be I found it challenging in training to bring in that kind of other understanding of of the wider context and situating the person's problems in their context and I think not enough of that conversation is maybe had uh, that awareness is isn't shared by maybe commissioners or yeah society more widely and I feel like that I also feel like similarly to some other people here that that's part of our role to try and kind of share that um, understanding but how do you do that in I'm thinking, I mean, broadly, this is NHS funded training, very, very high number of people, enormous number, like 97%, I think was the last figure um, I heard from national figures go into working in NHS services, certainly at the beginning of their career, and, you know, explicitly health services. And how, in, given what Abby's just said about the individual kind of framing of a lot mm. of those services, how do you bring in a kind of wider perspective short of being out there campaigning for social change on particular areas or whatever it may be how do you bring that into your role guys because I remember feeling really overwhelmed by this when I was a trainee I used to see tons of single parents living on benefits and then we just felt like there was so much that I kind of couldn't control really about the struggles of their lives I feel like on an individual level um, like an individual work asking what's happened to you rather than what's wrong with you like in the um 
power threat meaning framework is a, is a good way to kind of mm. reframe that well I think being wary that sometimes people don't think that that's the, that's not their experience that they wouldn't say something's happened to them mm. they would have a different understanding I was gonna say just think just lots and lots of questions and thinking <laughs> essentially and and um but being really aware of that context of what has happened and what is around and what are the current what and how they're affected by the current climate and in in the that lecture we had recently was it mark brown was that his name the hope yeah. lecture um it's mark one and four on yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was Quite very well good mark and yeah one i remember feeling really inspired by that kind of and i said one idea that just came up as he was talking when he was he was talking about how you know so many people are going through problems with benefits and you might be on a team where you know you're being asked to give individual therapy to someone who's just had their benefits stopped and what a ridiculous situation obviously i mean you you, you can't really do anything meaningful therapeutically other than kind of empathize with how awful it is um and yeah we were kind of talking about what you can do if that is going on in the service make that into a service-wide problem like ask how many people in the service are going through this situation do a survey communicate to your your service manager you know there's actually 40 percent of people who are going through this situation i mean research says that you know that a hierarchy of needs we can't be doing therapy if if 40 percent of people don't have money to live on communicating yeah i guess rather than just saying okay okay and I'm, again, I might, I'm aware I probably sound very naive and a year from now I might be kind of <laughs> bogged down and, you know, but, um, but I hope, you know, communicating that, not just saying, yes, okay, I'll give them individual therapy and, you know, just doing the six sessions and then saying, oh, well, they didn't change. They're obviously not suited to therapy, mm-hmm. which can happen a lot, I think. I think there is something that's important about uh, that relationship with commissioners I mean going in at a band seven you don't you feel pretty powerless I, I imagine <laughs> to, to try to influence that but maybe you know influencing up the chain of command that might eventually get there we had some inspiring lecture about how somebody from a consultant who has a good relationship with the commissioners and how she's managed to really develop her service in a more kind of yeah a systemically thinking way by having that good relationship and that seems to me to be quite responsible for some of the differences between some services which just seem like extremely stretched and some which seem to be doing having the space to do something that's a bit different and try something out that's yeah different we we, we just went some of us went to the community psychology festival over the weekend and there was a talk uh, by somebody who's got a um, child, children and family service that they've mental health service that they've kind of separated from CAMS they're still funded by the NHS but they're working more with housing and that I think just moving it out of like um, a mental health service is a step towards saying this is not a problem that is located within an, an individual. Interesting to think though if you're working in a particular service context that you find yourself in the position of actually not necessarily arguing for more resource for that service context but for more resource somewhere else in the in the firmament to see how that goes or maybe you I suppose in the end the strain of that becomes gets to a point where you actually end up wanting to work in another setting 
in another place or with another kind of influencing for at least part of your working life. Mm. I suppose community psychology or, you know, some people would, I guess, define their psychological input as activism, really, around particular issues. I, I, I think that's fine that we're working to argue for funding in other areas. Like, I mean, yeah, we sh- I think we should be. And we should be working to, you know, not have a job. I remember going to uh, some... DCP conference and there being this debate about kind of psychology, the BPS and do they represent the British Psychological Society yes, sorry. do they represent no. us as professionals and you know who's protecting and representing us as professionals and I mean I can't remember if it actually enough of that to make this relevant so <laughs> cut that out <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Um, well, so we, should be, we should be working. Yeah, we should. We, yeah, we yeah. The, the BPS shouldn't be about keeping us employed and about. Obviously, we need to look out for ourselves, but only in so far as we can remain healthy and supportive to the people we're working with. Not our primary aim shouldn't be to keep ourselves in jobs. Mm. Like our primary aim should be to get ourselves out of jobs, and or that's to... a success. Reduce if, the need if for. If we need less psychologists, that's a success. Well, I don't. There's, there's quite a lot of misery out there, so I don't think anyone is necessarily going to be out of a job, um, and for that reason, you know, any time soon. But that is a, it's a thought, really, isn't it? You know, working so as ultimately, or with the aim of not being needed. I'm aware, Helen, there's something that you did on Twitter uh, the other day or a couple of weeks ago. You did actually ask about this moment and ask for thoughts from the collective hive mind insofar as it is such of um, you know professionals and service users really who are out there working what, what did you ask and what kind of yeah. things came back I asked about kind of that we were just kind of the the context of that we were in our last well we're in our last kind of couple of days now but um and we wanted to think about kind of where our biggest impact is um whether it's within the nhs or outside of it which uh, i think is quite a it can be quite a, a sensitive topic so i think initially when people read something like that they think that they think of the fact that we've just had three years of training um that's funded and we're looking to run out the door which is not the angle i was coming from um but it was more kind of thinking about like I think like has been meant like has been mentioned about the how kind of put other areas um, in our kind of social worlds and how we can prop up the NHS or support the NHS from outside and within and kind of asking for people's ideas about that. Um, so we did have a couple of comments and some advice as well, which was. Uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. I was really struck by how much advice came. I was yeah. like, oh, did Helen ask for advice? But um, I guess we're quite an advice-giving kind of profession. Maybe we kind of... I mean, it's I very helpful. I'm going to tell you anyway, clearly, if you ask for advice or not. Um, yeah. I, mean, I guess with one of the main things that um, maybe I was alluding to there is that the, kind of the, the moral obligation comes up um, about working in the, the NHS when, you, when you've mm-hmm. been trained by them. And I think... That wasn't really what we were focusing on in terms of um, a trying to find an exit strategy. And I think, did you? I think you mentioned John about the the retention rates are actually 
Certainly initially most people do go into the NHS even compared to other publicly funded contexts actually. Mm. Huge number of people go directly into the NHS itself. Mm. I mean that does fade a little bit over time but certainly from what I saw of that debate the question came up of you know binding people in um, for X period of years but I have to say that doesn't really feel necessary at the moment, it would feel surprising Mm -hmm. to get any better retention Mm -hmm. um, via you know via that route you know I have to say I can see why people argue for it but Mm -hmm. and if you know lower numbers of people were going into the NHS or were heading off to the private sector that would be mm-hmm. uh, something else but uh, certainly in the initial stages of this profession mm-hmm. clinical psychology career people just aren't doing that really I mean I, I feel like the NHS is part of the government and therefore we should move into whatever area we think will make the most different or we can make the most difference that that might not be the NHS but that's okay because we've been trained as clinical psychologists, and they don't only work in the NHS. You're defining a larger loyalty, then. A broader ethos of this nation. A broader ethos of service. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm, I definitely do feel a more responsibility. Mm. I've been invested in, and I feel like I want to give back to the society that I live in. Um, but I also feel quite strongly that okay, if if there were to be a retention problem of NHS staff, which there is a massive in many other professions, I don't know about psychology, then that is a systemic issue that would need addressing systemically. And you can't, I don't think, and if, uh, that it's necessarily for the greater good to just kind of say, oh, well, okay, I'll just get my head down and make myself ill in a really toxic environment, because I think that's that's not going to be giving the public a good service and it's not it's not going to solve anything i think i was in a team on placement where people were just they didn't have protect their caseloads were very undefined they were very expansive that you know they were just struggling to complete their admin time and they were being told okay you just have to by people in the team one of the doctors you need to work smarter um we need to be more efficient and I think actually that what that does is people are leaving because it's it people can't do that and what ultimately then doesn't get communicated up if people don't say okay maybe there's a problem with this system is is that commissioners don't get to know oh you can't get this service for this price or actually people can only do this many sessions in a day and keep continue sustaining that so I think it's not necessarily the most noble thing to just always get your head down and, and try and work smarter, try and work smarter, try and work smarter and stay in something that's quite toxic. I think that's stepping out and reflecting on that and trying to push back is also, you're not. that's not only a selfish thing, that's for all your colleagues and the people that you're working for, ultimately. Mm. That's how I see it. Well, one of the things that seems to come up again and again under this, it's not just you're not just talking about burnout and self-preservation it's about something about offering something meaningful and safe Mm -hmm. but that's hard I think that's hard out there because Mm -hmm. you you know people have been waiting for something they're in desperate Mm -hmm. need they've been waiting for something can you turn around and say well listen the thing that I've got actually isn't the thing for you Mm -hmm. at, at this point and it sounds like you're saying that there's a need to be able to say that I think when it's necessary. Sorry, I'm speaking a lot, but I feel quite strongly about this. But I think that I think that actually one of the massive things that keeps people going in their work and stops people getting burnt out is that feeling of being able to help people and to do some and and to be doing a good job. And it's that feeling that you're letting people down that is really 
that is really draining. Um, I can see Max nodding. <laughs> um, and and so I think there isn't. Yeah. So I guess that's part of what I would say in answer to that. Um, I was thinking as well about how. Um, yeah, it's a similar thing, this thing of a moral uh, responsibility to work in the NHS rather than thinking more broadly about the system and where, best, where, where within the system you're best placed. And that was something in my placement in um, public health that I was kind of aware of in terms of how things are commissioned, where you know we're taking uh, a pool of money, breaking it out into different services and then those services needing to put the money back together to... Uh, to offer a service on the front line I think that's a bit confusing but but ultimately it's like breaking things down um, and, and not really looking at the system as a whole or where we can be best placed within it so rather than just like, like has been said um, that maybe we're better placed somewhere else um, and we can do more somewhere else and it's not, we're not being immoral in doing that we're just being uh, maybe that's a way of working smarter is about thinking about where you're best positioned to do that um, and yeah like you were saying Becca around if you feel like you're I think for a lot of people they get into this profession to to help people and to feel like they're doing something meaningful and good and if you're not getting that sense then you know it is really hard to stay and to to put up with sort of what you do go through Mm. I think it's like difficult as well though because I mean I kind of see the NHS as as rather than being part of the government as being under attack from it like the austerity and the cuts are all things that are undermining the work of the NHS and in the NHS it is hard and horrible but I can't see a way of making that different other than being inside it, people like us and other professions that are qualifying joining the NHS, that that will be the future of, of the NHS. Mm. Um, and I don't know what the answer is, but I feel mm. like it's a, it feels fundamentally important to me to stay inside it mm. and try and change mm. it from there. Something. I was, I was going to bring you in again, Hannah, actually, because I think that relates to something you said earlier, but far I guess, away. But. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, this training, like we talked about, equips us to kind of think about mental health as more kind of like systemic societal phenomenon like the mental health the NH- the NHS is a the national health service and i think that if we're restricted to um, thinking therefore we need to deliver our services within a health service is that not perhaps perpetuating that idea that um, it's an individual health problem rather than a societal issue and like i very, i still very much agree with that kind of I don't know the, the the need to fight not to give not to give up is yeah it's not about it's definitely don't feel it's about kind of uh, just like turning your back on it and saying oh it's it's failing so leave but like the ways to transform it might be about moving into social care um, arguing for services that aren't just within a kind of health framework. Well, that, that's actually exactly what I was going to ask you, uh, just in this like, contrast with what Owen said, which is, I mean, certainly when you go to conferences, when you talk to people, the conversation often seems to end up in a place where at least we can all agree that cuts are bad and we should be spending more money on mental health. But, and everyone kind of nods because they find a point to agree. But I think you're what you're opening up is the possibility that 
actually that might not necessarily be the thing that you want to spend money on or that we can't necessarily always agree what we think is a spending priority. I mean, I have to say the two biggest spending streams that I have noted in the last year or so from the government have been you know, where new money has been available, both of which I don't think are desperately good ideas. One is z- the zero suicide, you know, quite mm-hmm. um, firm target around, you know, to really try and reduce and eliminate suicide. And I've kind of gone on record as saying various reasons why I'm not sure that's such a great idea. Uh, and the other one is mental health first aid in schools, which seems to me to be a very poor substitute for, you know, adequate pastoral care and simply seeing more and more things under an umbrella of mental health while actually starving resources of people who really really are in at the sharp end but i think what you're saying is that you know there might be more than one way i think to like, spend money i so many times through training i get to the point where i don't understand what mental health means it's used like so much like yeah of course we need to in- increase spending on mental health but i mean mental health is everything like mm-hmm. mental health is childcare and not having zero hour contracts and you know equality like that's mental health so yeah of course we need to put money into that but I guess often people use mental health to maybe mean more of a kind of like individualized um, service. And I suppose I don't you're not also saying that there isn't a place for that because obviously that is really helpful for some people um, but that it needs to be thought of more broadly than just Therapy. Yeah, the mental mm-hmm. mental health is more than that. Yes, yeah. it it might be that for lots of people. More than individual therapy, yeah. well, psychotherapies, but yeah. I guess that would also mean medication and yeah. you know individual contacts with you know doctors and nurses and other professionals. Yeah. Uh, I'm aware that for you guys in particular, we're we're running a bit short of time, but I just wanted to finish. Uh, I didn't really prepare this beforehand, but I was just wondering if there's maybe one thing each of you might be able to say about what your sort of primary hope, I guess this can be anything from really profound to, you know, I hope I don't have too long hours or something like that. But is there anything you're particularly hoping for in, you know, when you go into a career as a qualified person you know is it oh my god you know not um you know not being absolutely overwhelmed with things that I don't you know don't think I can do or what I mean what what are your kind of thoughts on that I guess I I hope yeah like I most things I've been saying I've then been saying I realize I sound really naive and probably a year from now I'll be kind of run down and you know just getting my head down I, I guess I hope that doesn't happen I hope I feel that Salomon's has really kind of equipped me with this kind of hope that we can you know change make some changes and I hope that I don't kind of lose that energy hope tempered by reality <laughs> and appreciation of yeah. reality I yeah mm. I, I, on a quite a small scale I hope that uh, I can be given the freedom to be quite playful and creative in my approaches um, yeah with, with in my work to be able to think about that broader context when I'm working in the NHS. Playful, I and mean, people may not necessarily or may react to that word. Just you say a little bit more of what you mean by playful? I mean, uh, I, th- I think I know what you mean, but I'm not sure everyone knows. It's hard to describe, isn't it? Um, being able to try out new things and seeing what And connect, what maybe connect with the person. It's yeah. like, have, like have that relationship as the kind of primary 
driver rather than the protocol or something like that. Like you can kind of, I don't know. Yeah, and like I don't know, you're funny, energetic person who draws in life a lot from kind of yeah humor and creativity. So I I don't know, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I can imagine like being able to use that in your work is important. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm. Um, I don't think play is just for children. I think it's for everyone, and that it's actually a really important part of life. And that, like on a broader way, in a broader context, I think that we should adults should be given more space to play. And I think that would be helpful for mental health. I think you're kind of talking about freedom to explore. Yeah, really. absolutely. And that does feel very important actually when you're meeting somebody in their kind of unique reality as yeah. well. Any other thoughts? teens are coming into my mind and kind of thinking about finding a a place in a team and working well in a team I think that's something that is quite important to me in my first job and I hope to find and hope that I could be in a team where it's kind of mutually supportive I guess that would be my main thing yeah I think it's quite similar for me I can't think of anything specific or profound I just want I just hope to be able to work effectively and, and feel supported mm. so that's that's it really survive so, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking probably I want to be able to to uh, work in a way you know with people I really like individual work and working with people but also to be able to think about the system keep the system in mind and particularly other you know colleagues thinking about staff well-being and and what what role I can play in sort of thinking with the team and the organisation about how we take care of staff in the NHS. Um, yeah, it's quite a specific hope maybe, but kind of linking to what Margaret was saying because we both did similar kind of research projects and uh, around the issue of staff wellbeing and like NHS context. So I guess I hope to kind of hold on to some of that work that we did. Like maybe, yeah, I'd like for us to publish something together um, and to kind of keep that strand of thinking and working um, going. Lots about keeping thinking going, keeping creativity going, keeping exploration going, finding support and places where that can be held and nourished, really. That seems to be a sort of a kind of primary thing, which sounds, you know, I've heard, I've heard worse, <laughs> really a lot worse, actually, and that seem, those seem to me to be pretty noble aims, actually. But I think we're going to have to bring it to an end there, so I'm just, I'll just say that the best way to follow the podcast is to subscribe you can do that on iTunes or by searching for discussions in Tunbridge Wells in your podcast app of choice you can find links to some of the things we've talked about in our blog, uh, Discursive of Tunbridge Wells, as well as that you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at CCCUAPPSY all that remains for me to do is thank all our contributors, thank you very much guys and good luck thank you So after our summer hiatus, we've got several episodes lined up, so please keep an ear out for those. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.